Good morning. It's really good to be together on this Lord's Day morning. It's great to hear the comments that uh, that Dave made about this weekend. It was resonated a lot with me. What he said has been just fun to watch. My wife and a lot of other godly women pour themselves into what seems like an awesome event. Tommy and I have joked, not really joking, several times that we're jealous that we weren't able to be there and be part of it, but that's how it should be. It just seems like such a, such a, um, a good thing, a good work that happened yesterday. And so going with that, I want to turn to Proverbs chapter 31, going with this idea of a ladies' weekend. I realized, you know, next weekend I'll have been here eight years and I never have preached on Proverbs 31. That doesn't seem right. And so we're going to dive into uh, this wonderful chapter. This was a picture that uh, Riley took from the Empire State Building. So... We were all wandering around. We recently, several of us, went to New York City, and we're at the top of the Empire State Building wandering around, and I said, Riley, come over here, and he's our resident photographer. He's got the good camera, and he's got the eye for it, and so I said, look at this, and I pointed one of those big scopes, you know, that they have, and he looked in, and he saw this symbol, this majestic lady, and he took this picture. Here it is, zoomed in a little bit more. And I bet that people in New York City pass it all the time and don't even look at at some point if you're used to seeing it. But for us, kind of like Ellen talking about seeing the Grand Canyon, it was a big deal to see, even from all these miles away, this beautiful symbol. It meant something to us. So we zeroed in and we noticed it and we beheld it. And they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The, the, the man who uh, sculpted this, the, the sculptor and creator of the Statue of Liberty, did much more than just sculpting it. He actually, he raised, headed up the raising of $4 million to, from the French government to build and bring this over. And then whenever things got difficult and they didn't have enough, he almost went bankrupt staking his own fortune on building it. And as he's going through it over uh, many years, about a 20-year process, uh, he got a lot of different advice. One one person, uh, an art expert, said to him that he should find a reference to, to base this statue on that comes from figures of thought which are grand in themselves. But ultimately, as many who have seen the the images of his, uh, his mother have observed, it's an unmistakable resemblance. The one he based the statue on is his mom. When you think of strength, When you think of great ideals, of virtue, of liberty, base a a majestic symbol on, what would you base this on? 
Adrian and I recently watched a movie. You know, I usually get up here and quote war movies or westerns or action movies or, or dramas, Casablanca, but it's ladies weekend. So how about a period romance? <laughs> this isn't Jane Austen, but it's an Oscar Wilde movie that we, we stumbled on and watched here in the last week or so. And Minnie Driver's character says, to look at a thing is quite different from seeing a thing. And one does not see anything until one sees its beauty. And so here's my question. Do we see the beauty of a God-fearing woman? When we look at Proverbs 31, sometimes it, it gets misunderstood. And there's another quote from the movie, <laughs> Ideal Husband, actually the basis of the whole thing. She, Kate Blanchett's character, sees her husband in a particular way. She idealizes him, and she doesn't actually see him. She sees this ideal to him. And then when, when he falls short of her ideal, the standard that she had set, she's crushed, and they don't know where to go from there. And she says, you were to me something apart from common life, a thing pure, noble, honest, without stain. The world seemed to me finer because you were in it, and goodness more real because you lived. But she, and he is, he was good, but he wasn't perfect. And she didn't see him. She saw her ideal husband. And, and in the same way, we can kind of show up to Proverbs 31 the wrong way sometimes and think, oh, this is a measuring stick by which I should look at women or women should look at other women or women should measure themselves and feel like, you know, crushing failures because there's no flaw in the Proverbs 31 woman. We read about flaws of Abraham and David and other figures in Scripture that are righteous and good. But this isn't a real person, of course. This is a portrait. This is a, it doesn't mean she's not anchored in reality. It doesn't mean these aren't, these aren't attributes to be really imitated. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you think about it, or maybe even look around this room... You know this woman. <laughs> you know many Proverbs 31 women. But this is a portrait of that, those women. And you know those women, these women, because even though this was written in another time, in another place, even though it describes a particular class of woman in that time, one of these wealthy uh, uh, women from, from a, a particular class in their society, in the Jewish culture, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, you recognize the traits of a woman who fears Yahweh, who fears the Lord. And that's what this is a portrait of. Proverbs 31 gives us a portrait of the woman of valor, the valiant woman. Sometimes it's tra translated uh, the excellent wife. The word that's translated wife or woman, it can be translated either way. It's the same word. And I used the word woman here just because though she is a wife in this, in this description, she has a husband, it's not just the role of wife that is talked about. It's all of her roles. There's all these different roles of what 
a God-fearing woman looks like. And we see this in single women also, don't we? When we look and we see a woman that has these traits, it's not whether she's married or not that, describe, that, that identifies her as a Proverbs 31 woman. You see her role in the community, her role in her household, her role in all of these different spheres. And, and I use the word valor as, as many translators and, and uh, commentators chose to use a valiant woman or a woman of valor, valor because that is usually how this word is translated. It's a word, like many words in the Proverbs 31 poem, that is almost always used to describe a hero in battle. Isn't that interesting? You know the mighty men of valor? Remember David's mighty men of valor? This word, valor. In fact, this, this poem talks about, it doesn't often translate the words these way, this way because it, it's harder to make sense of it if you're just picking it up. But uh, it uses the word that's almost always translated spoils for what she brings. The spoils of war. Instead of talking about food, what it literally talks about is her prey. It talks about her strength. This is a, a counter to the descriptions of women at the time, and indeed today as well, that are all about physical beauty, often sensual, erotic beauty, about things that are fully external that focus on the outer person or don't see the person at all. And that's what the, the, this seems to be a countermeasure of. Uh, it's been described as, as a heroic poem placing this woman in the tradition of all of Israel's great heroes, saying that she is an heir, heiress of all of these traits, a spiritual warrior in the domestic fear and in the community fear sphere bringing god's attributes of goodness into the community she is to be lifted up held up as as a as a foundation to what the the israelite or the community of god is built on what a beautiful idea the woman of valor it takes courage to live as a God-fearing man or woman. You've read this earlier, the end of the, kind of the application, the, the invitation, the summary, the bringing it home piece of this is the conclusion. And it says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let the works praise her in the gates. That's the conclusion of the passage. The introduction of the passage is all about the value of this woman. And in the middle, it shows us who she is. And here's the big idea. There are women in your life, 
that reminds you of the Proverbs 31 woman. Learn from them, treasure them, and find ways to honor them. An interesting tradition that goes way back, way, way back into biblical times around this proverb, or this section of the book of Proverbs, and it's continued in many Jewish, traditional Jewish cultures today, where this poem is recited to the women, the matriarch, from a husband to a wife at the beginning of each Sabbath, in front of everyone, putting her in a place of honor, expressing her worth. There are a lot of ways to honor a godly woman. But it's also easy, instead of zeroing in and beholding, to pass right by like a New Yorker passing by the Statue of Liberty and miss the work that goes in unseen, miss the devo acts of devotion, the inner person of faith and love, the acts of kindness and charity. It's easy to miss them if we're not valuing what the book of Proverbs is trying to get us to value. We don't hold the values of the world. We don't see women or men the way that the world does. Paul in 1 Timothy 2 does a reset on how we see masculinity and how we see femininity. He says, I don't want men to be brawlers, like, like the value of masculinity is how, how much you can fight, go beat somebody up. I want men to lift up holy hands in prayer. And I want women not to be known by their outer adornment, by the braiding of hair, by the, by the gold and jewels, but by that inner person of heart, the, the quiet spirit that's devoted to God. A God-fearing woman is, if we could see beyond the physical, a warrior of God, bringing her gentle strength, her industry, her commitment to others, her kindness, her compassion into the service of God to bring goodness and productivity and order and life into the world. And we see that happening all around us. We see that happening in the church today. I don't mean today like in this era. I mean today. <laughs> see this all over. saw Adrian out there partnering like she, she always does with me, getting people to, to take those little bookmarks. We'll talk about those in a minute. See women teaching our children the truth about Jesus, about his scriptures. See women sitting right now with their children, keeping things in order so that their children can learn. See women opening the scriptures to be changed by the word of God themselves. So the first point is to value her, to see the worth of women like this. This is the emphasis point here. And you know, it's interesting. This is actually written to men. I mean, it's, it's King Lemuel's mom talking to her, right? To him. 
in verse 1 of chapter 31, and it seems to me that this is just a continuation. It never breaks it. The words, verse 1 says, of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. And then she teaches him how to be a good king. What are you doing, my son? <laughs> you just, I can hear my wife saying that to my son. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And then she gives a warning about women. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. She gives what not to do. And then she's going to say in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. Not saying it's impossible to find her, but they're rare. So look for her. Value her. Treasure this. We all tend to pick up on what the people around us value, and we, we emulate it. I'm sure like my three daughters, to see that what is truly valuable is what is described here. A woman who fears God, serves others, and acts in love. Not just someone who, as our culture seems to say about women especially, I think, men don't Men are not seen well, it seems, whenever they are brash and fighting out as much anymore. But, but it seems like now a woman is, uh, is supposed to be brashly fighting for her own ambitions, not taking a back seat to anyone. What we see here is a different kind of warrior. A warrior who seeks the good of others of her husband, of her family, of the community, of the poor, who thinks ahead to try to bless the whole world, bending herself, bending herself in the service of God and others. There's a Ben Fold song that uh, Adrian and I kind of like. It's, it's, a, it's The chorus is, I am, Aaron knows it, I can tell. It says, I am the luckiest. And that's pretty much the chorus. The idea, he's singing about his, his bride and saying, here's what I've come to know. I am the most fortunate of men. I, I tend to agree with what Ralph said a few weeks ago, that I don't love the word lucky because it's not about... Uh, rolling the dice, it's about a blessing. And that's what this book is about. The whole book of Proverbs is about whenever you turn into God's ways, there's a blessing that comes with it. And the greatest, at the center of the blessing of uh, a, a godly man's life is the blessing of having a godly wife. And so there's this Chiasm, Adrian said chiastic structures came up yesterday. There's this structure of, uh, I always think of it like Russian uh, nesting dolls, right? It's how a lot of the Hebrew literature is written, where the main point is the one in the middle, the thing that you need to get, and, and you see it outside, it builds from it. And so verse 21, she has no fear of snows. Her household is clothed in scarlet, which parallels verse 25. She laughs at the future, she's clothed in strength and dignity. So clothing on both sides. 
Verse 22, she's clothed in linen and purple, linen being the key word. Verse 24, she makes and sells linen and sashes. And then at the center of that, that structure, her husband is respected at the gate. Lemuel's mother wants him to understand that there is a tremendous blessing that comes, that flows from having a wife who fears the Lord. This is an acrostic poem, which means it takes each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and each word, each, each of the 22 verses, the 22, uh, yeah, verses here, the 22 couplets starts with one of these letters. It goes A, B, C, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, Hey. It kind of goes through all of these. And so I put up here, just so you could see the importance of each of these first words, the first four verses. The first verse, verse 10, starts with Aleph, and it's this word woman. He's telling us, here's what this poem is going to be about. It's going to be about, or she, King Lemuel's mother is telling us if this is going to be about woman, woman who is valiant. And then the first word of the next verse, verse 11, is trusts. Starts with the bait. Trusts. Who trusts? Her husband trusts her. Her husband has come to realize he can put full confidence and faith in her. And then the next verse, starting with Gimel, she does. This is a poem, not just about what her, her heart is like, but about what she does continually and about what she seeks to start the next verse and so on. And so in this A to Z picture, it gives the sense of completion. Even though he doesn't list every possible attribute of a godly woman, right? Even though it's not a, a full picture, it gives a sense of it being a full picture because I've gone from A to Z and there's this catharsis that comes with going through this kind of rigorous structure that says, I'm trying to tell you this is who she is. And it reflects the order and completeness of the home and the life that she lives before God. And so secondly, we need to hear her. We need to learn from the works and words of women like this. It is meant to be held up for instruction, right? We find, again, in verses 1 to 9, the instruction begins where he, uh, he King Lemuel, receives this instruction from his mom about how to rule. And what a selfish ruler is going to be like. And a wrong ruler is going to be like. And it's interesting. There's a lot of parallel words that show up in the picture of the godly woman as the opposite of that selfish ruler. She is ruling well. A kingdom, as it were, that would be the envy of any earthly kingdom as she is running her home and her family's life. There's prosperity a kingdom would want to have. There is benevolence even to the weakest among us a kingdom would want to have. There is a forethought that kings need to have. And she also reflects the picture of lady wisdom. 
The book's introduction gives a picture of this lady, this figurative lady named Lady Wisdom. And here, at the end of the book, we close with this picture of a woman who reflects that wisdom, a more concrete picture of a wise woman. In other words, just like we're meant to learn from Lady Wisdom, we should all, men and women, look at this picture and learn from it. You know, we don't, when we look at statements earlier in the book of Proverbs that say, oh, listen, my son, and do this, we don't say, well, girls don't need to do that. In the same way, men should look at this and, and learn how to be industrious. I mean, certainly, there's some things that are specific to her role, but there, there are lessons here about how to live. And so we want to take these. And in fact, not only live from her life and her example, but also from her words. It says that she opens her mouth with wisdom in verse 26, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. In verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor, and in verse 26, she opens her mouth to give wisdom. Every time she opens, something good comes forth. And aren't we grateful that she did open her mouth? We want to heed the counsel, King Lemuel, of your mother. Heed the wise words of the women who are living for God and are sharing their wisdom, both in example quietly and in, in their, their counsel to us. Much of what she says here, much of what she does here, is seen tirelessly done in, in secret. And then some of it is just done. It's just a life that is being lived that people get to watch. This week, a friend of mine sent this quote to me, and I thought this is appropriate, very appropriate to this woman. Lighthouses don't go running all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand there shining. A great quote. It doesn't mean we don't ever go after the lost sheep, but you know what this is saying, right? This is saying you stand firm and live the godly life you're meant to live. Shine forth. And when you see a lighthouse, you look at it and you learn from it. My dad's favorite song was this song um, about lighthouses it's called um, The Lights Along the Shore. The lights along the shore that never grow dim, never, never grow dim, are the souls that are aflame with the love of Jesus' name. And they guide us. Yes, they guide us unto him. He loved it because he thought every time, and he would talk to me about this, of certain people who had made a profound difference in his life. You have those people in your life. And you probably are one of those people to someone. What a great gift to be able to be on either side of that equation. And so we want to honor and learn from those who stand in this way. Wisdom has built her house, that picture of Lady Wisdom says, to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Sounds like a lighthouse to me. Look, over here. And you can crash into the shores if you want, or you can go get lost at sea if you want, but there is a light right here if you want to see. 
And there are godly women here today. Learn something for your life from that are showing you with their consistency, with their steady devotion, with their, with their fruit of the Spirit that we could list out all of the traits that they show us and with their wisdom. It says that she laughs at the time to come. That's a lesson I want to learn from this wise woman. What does that mean? She laughs at the time to come. Well, it's not just optimism. She looks at the future and she doesn't see dread. She doesn't, she doesn't panic. But because of her preparation for things that she can do something about, and her trust in God for those things that she can't do anything about, she's able to look at the future with a kind of, not only ease, but joy, exuberance, and laugh. Often in Scripture, for instance, Psalm 2, laughter is something that a warrior does. God, in Psalm 2, looks at those who would try to oppose his anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, he laughs at them. He laughs at them because they have no chance to overcome him. And the would-be enemies of future difficulty will not overcome her spirit. He laughs at them because she trusts in the Lord and walks with him doing what she can. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. There's another parallel here where you see not only she's providing clothes and then she's clothed with strength and honor, but there's this parallel at the center of the poem, both at the center of the poem in verse 20 and then later on uh, at the, at, towards the end of the poem, you see the way that she blesses those who are in need. So in verse 20, there's this idea of her. She's been working in verse, 10, in verse 19, she's been working with her hand, putting her hand and holding something with her hand. What's she holding? She's holding the work she needs to do. Sometimes there's a time to grab a hold of something and get it done. But then in the next verse, she extends her hand and opens it. And sometimes there's a time to let go of what you're holding. Give it away. What an example she is. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she plants a vineyard. In fact, throughout this, this picture, and this would be a, a vineyard, probably uh, she says she buys the field with the fruit of her labor, and she's planting you know, grapes. She's planting uh, something that someday in the future will be able to bless her family and even the community with what she's growing. We were put into this world. God, this is part of the story of Genesis 1 and 2. We were created as gardeners. <laughs> Adam and Eve were tending a garden. And they were bringing order in God's creation. Order and fruitfulness. We are here to garden God's world. Bring order and fruitfulness. That's how we rule over his good creation, husband and wife, 
as he made us to do. That's how we represent him as image bearers. And so she plants a vineyard and she's bringing fruit with her labors. She's bringing, and of course, literally, she's planting a vineyard. But you see this metaphorically, you see that she is growing her efforts into something productive and good throughout this whole poem. And so the third point is to praise her, is to regularly express honor to women like this. The word praise is used three times in the conclusion. And indeed, her works praise her. If nobody else said anything, people can just look at what she's doing and get a sense of who she is and recognize that's something to be admired. That's something to aspire to. That's something that encourages and builds me up. But it doesn't say, and that's enough for her works to praise her. It says, no, let her children praise her. Let her husband praise her. Let her praise be sounded forth in the gates of the city. That is, in the place, in the community, in the place where people enter, where the res most respected Men are, are there making decisions on behalf of the people and where her husband is sitting there among them. Let her be praised. Think we're uncomfortable with the idea of praise for people? You know, of course, ultimately, God deserves all the praise for all the good that she is. But that doesn't mean you don't praise her. Listen to what God says. Praise her. Build her up. Express to her with words, with actions, the honor that she deserves. He needs it. We all do. I get to get up here and uh, a lot of the time give, give these talks and uh, it's a very visible role. <laughs> And there's been very few of these sermons I've, I've preached to you that uh, Adrian didn't contribute something significant to in our conversations, in our study, in our, hey, I'm thinking about this, and she throws out an illustration. Oh, I'm going to start with that. Or she redirects me. I think what people really need to hear is this. And that's not seen very much. A lot of things that she does that that many of you do are not seen very much. But we need still to be acknowledged. Be given those words that affirm us. And so I, we set up that table back there as an invitation to praise her. One specific way, and I want to give you ten ways trying to draw some from the text. And I encourage you to brainstorm other ways to honor her, to look at, at the women in your life that you see in this picture. Even if you, if you just see one attribute, what is the attribute that jumps out at you? Write that down on one of those bookmarks. You can decorate it if you want, especially the kids. Draw a picture. Do something 
that expresses it and give it to her. I bet it'll stay in her Bible for a long time. It would in mine. Because we just need, if it's, if it's heartfelt, and it's true, we all need to hear that. And so, like she was pray, told to be praised in the gates, talk about these women to other people. When they don't even know you're talking about them. Often, it's really cool. It comes back around. You know what he said about, her, about you? That's kind of cool. But even if it doesn't, show her that honor. Praise her in the gates. Give her her due, the works of her hand. Let her enjoy the fruit of her labor, you know? It seems like <clears throat> so many of the women in my life, um, I don't know, it seems to be a trait of, of godly women. They are always the last one to sit down at dinner. They may or may not get any of the dessert that they slaved over, <laughs> that delicious cherry pie, that... that the, the things that they do sometimes don't come back around to them. Give her the fruit of her labor. Trust in her. Her husband's heart trusts in her. Now get out of her way. Clear her path. Empower her. And be her partner. Especially talking to husbands. Her, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Partner with her and empower her as she serves the world rather than standing in her way. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather she was at home taking care of me than out there serving all those people or doing this ladies' Bible study or do it, whatever it is. No. Put some wind in her sails as she tries to do this work. Trust her. Trust her to do what she needs to do. Support her as she seeks security for the future of her family. You know, uh, early in our marriage, I had to learn that my wife needed a, a, a different measure of security financially than I did, of confidence that we have what we need in the bank for not just the bills we have now, but, you know, we... we I would feel a lot better if we planned ahead for the future and got more of this done. And I've become better from her influence on me in that. The woman in Proverbs 31 is planning for the future and she laughs at the future because she has that security. Husbands, partner with your wife and help her to have that security. See her well, not just for her physical beauty and her charisma, but for her heart and her deeds. Beauty is deceitful, charm is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So treasure the fear of God within her and nurture it. Again, to husbands, Ephesians 5 tells us that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, who gave himself up for it and what Jesus did is he purified her, it says there, with the washing of the word. Jesus sanctifies. Jesus is working for the holiness and betterment spiritually of the church. And that picture is described in detail in the description of what a husband is meant to be to a wife. Let's 
foster this in one another. And, and the picture of this woman is that she will do the same for her husband. Foster the fear of God, the reverence and awe and service of God within one another. There's a word, I don't know if this is a real word. I, I realized after I typed it in the other day, because it's an Adrian word, that she uses all the time, and I've heard it for 20 years, so I, it might not be a real word. Is the word chintzy a word that you've heard before? Chintzy? Okay. I looked it up, and I couldn't find it, so I was like, okay. But it's the perfect word. I love this word. And Adrian always makes up these, she always has these great um, onomatopoetic words, these words that sound exactly like what they should mean. Chintzy sounds like what it should mean, right? Chintzy, oh, you're, not, you're really chintzing out on that. You're not giving very much at all. There's like, I, I have to use the word to define the word. There's no other word, like chintzing. Don't be chintzy with her praise. Don't give it in measured little pieces. Pour it out. Declare it regularly. I love that Jewish tradition of every Sabbath starting by reading this out. We saw a video of Adrian and I watched uh, this week of a guy um, singing this proverb song to his wife, holding her hand. It was really beautiful. Find ways to praise her continually. Regularly place her in the seat of honor, figuratively and literally, like that man who puts his wife on that pedestal, on that, in that place of honor each Sabbath. You know, think about ways to have the children stand while, you know, until she sits down or, or to have them recognize what she is doing for them, to say thank you for the work that she's doing. Reciprocate. There's this picture of her bringing gifts from afar, like a ship. These pictures of what she provides. May we also bring gifts to her. May we also reciprocate to her a provision that shows her love and shows her honor. As she dresses her family well, may we provide for her well. And then, instead of bringing anxiety and panic to her when she's ready to have confidence, laugh with her. Stand with her. Laugh with her at the future, at life and its challenges, past, present, and especially future. Stand together in faith. Those are 10 ways that I identified from the, from the text here to honor and praise her. Ultimately, as I said, all honor and praise for these blessings, these people that God has put in our lives goes to God. But we look at them and we learn and we see him better. There's that great song, Have You Seen Jesus, My Lord? He's here in plain view. Take a look, open your eyes, and he will show it to you. Have you ever stood in the family with the Lord there in your midst, seen the face of Christ on your brother? 
and I say you've seen Jesus, my Lord. In other words, we're reflecting God's image to one another, and we're able to grow closer to him as we do grow closer to one another. I want to close this service as we do each service with an invitation. And the invitation of Jesus is this, that anyone who recognizes their own need, their sin, recognizes that they can't save themselves and they need him as a savior. He says, those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. He says, for those who are overcome with guilt, overcome with fear of death or of the future, overcome with alienation from him, from the world, find hope in me. Trust in me. Confess me. Turn in repentance to me. Be baptized into me and walk with me into eternity.